Welcome to The Village Lantern, a podcast for families living with hidden challenges such as autism and other neurodiverse conditions, and for anyone else wanting to understand, love and support. Our mission is to build understanding, empathy and love for families living with one or more children who have hidden conditions that make life harder in one way or another. We call this Extra Zing. No, I get quite emotional about underdogs because that was my feeling. It was never something I was seeking a badge for or anything, but that was a definitely a feeling in me growing up. And it, But it has pushed me to do lots of things that were outside of my comfort zone. So no, I really relate to underdogs. Episode two, Rethinking Autism. Positivity, a mother's love and changing lives. Part one. Chris Varney is the founder and CEO of the first of its kind, I Can Network. In episode six, we talk about his amazing work advocating for and changing lives of hundreds of young autistics. In this episode, Chris talks about his personal life. Chris is also a brilliant company. We talked about his childhood, his family, especially his amazing mum, his passion for children's rights and 14th century England. Chris is also proudly autistic. Hey, 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 it's the Village Lantern Peeps here, Anna and Jordan. How are you going, Anna? God, I feel like I'm not, am I allowed to say peeps as well? I'm, I'm saying it. I'm going to say it. Okay. Because I was going to say no. So, <laughs> but no, go I'm for it. Go, no, go for it. If you want to say it. But okay. what's what's the equivalent? What what am I allowed to say now if I'm giving you peeps? I feel like we, neither of us should be allowed to tell anyone else what we're allowed to say. <sighs> okay. 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 Looks like it was starting off with with one of them, mm-hmm. Anna. But this is a really good, this is a really good episode here. Oh my gosh. I'm really sorry, Jordan, that you missed this. And what happened was I got my dates wrong. <laughs> And I'm going to reserve the right as a busy mum with ADHD who mostly nails it. I'm going to reserve my right to get my dates wrong. And you, to be fair, went to Sydney. I, I'm going to let you pass. Look, I'll give you one. You're either allowed to get your dates wrong and I'll give you the pass, but then you're not allowed to say peeps. Um, so you're going to have to choose which one you want. I'm going with the pass. Yeah. So look, it was great. I, I was in Sydney. I was actually setting up our Care Now launch. Super exciting. Which is super exciting. It's gotten off to an amazing start and the community there is amazing. So not mad about being over there, but definitely upset uh, that I missed out on this one with Chris because he is just a legend. So I don't know. I remember, um, Jordan, that I sent you his TED Talk. I think you saw it. When I discovered Chris, it was via this same TED Talk. It's been out there for a while now. But Chris is this, I mean, he's a genius, right? And he's funny and he's nice and he's like... A doer. And Anna has a slight fangirl crush on him, which has come up a few times. Yeah, I tell him at the beginning of the interview, it's it's all on the table. But anyway, again, we split this one, right? Because when it's so good, we don't want anything lost. So this is part one. Um, There's no way you're not going to love this. And then when you get to part two, equally, you're going to be mind blown. (laughs) Don't miss me too much, guys. I'll be back next week. I hope you enjoy. Okay. So... um, We've got Chris Varney here today. I've actually been, I don't know if this is the right, is fan crushing the right word? (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean to make you uncomfortable, but like I think I said, (laughs) you were foundational. I think my mum might have sent me your TED Talk because I've got a long mum 
deep mum connection to. So I think that's, you know, and I now have that with my kids. But um, I'm pretty sure soon after our diagnosis came through for Millie, I'm quite sure my mum somehow found your TED Talk and sent it to me and we were both like, this is amazing, what a story, what an inspiration, like... I have taken a, um, an approach to always seek positive stories yes. and always, Good. I don't want to hear the, the bad ones. No. I just don't. There's no. plenty of them around, but that's like everything in life. And, so true. Um, and so that was a really good starting point and just the love of the mum and your, I mean, so I really want to hear about that. But also, um, of course, I've done a little bit of, I'm, I'm a bit of a stalker. Once I find something that interests me, I go and like look them up and look at the bio and look at whatever I can find. And <laughs> um, your <clears throat> bio is mind-blowing. Anyway. Yeah. I know. I don't want to, I won't sort of um, make it uncomfortable, but I'll certainly cover it in the, in the bio sure. at the beginning and also we'll, I'll attach some information in the show notes so that if people also sure. want to, like, stalk you, <laughs> <laughs> they can. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to know, and I think lots of parents would like to know this, our um, paediatrician is Dr Annie Molden. She's fantastic. She's got really good expertise in child development. She assures us and me that in the later years of school things get better in yes. terms of being able to just find yourself and then as an adult. Can you just share a little bit about... You talked a little bit that being a kid was hard, a little bit about what that was like for people who might not quite understand and then also how it gets better because I think it's so important to be able to assure parents and kids who are living with struggles that it does get better. Yeah, yeah, it does. I remember being a kid that compared myself a lot to Mm -hmm. what other kids did and in my situation we were a family, I was one of four, I was the eldest. And my brother, who's awesome, his name is Stephen, he was presented very typically. He was great at sport. He did all the things that Australian boys in the 90s were expected to do. He mm. could kick a footy. He, he was great at cricket. He was very athletic, smart. You know, he was... Oh, how he, annoying. It was very annoying. Yes, thanks, Anna. Annoying. So it was very annoying. And that was... But, I mean, me aside, great for him. Yeah, of course. But I, of course. I did compare myself a lot. And that led to a lot of negative self-talk, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of wallowing and a lot of depressive spells. Up to what age? Or when did that begin and up mm, to what age? Good question. Um, it really probably began midway through primary school mm. when he had joined primary school with me. And oh, because he's younger. Oh. He's younger. He's 14 months younger. So he's, oh, you know, he was there. 14 months as yes, well. That's yes. not enough to it's really enough. be younger. Yeah, make the gut longer, mum and dad. Longer. Make the gut longer. <laughs> so, but then it changed a lot at 12 and 13. At 12 and 13, your interests become, you're more mature with them. You're focusing more on your interests. Their message changes. You are not necessarily having to do things the way everyone else is trying to do them. And high school, well, my high school embraced individuals. So that was a big emphasis. You pursue the things that you enjoy doing and that you're good at. And my parents actually chose to send my brother and I to different schools. Yeah, I was going to ask that. I reckon Mm, that's a good call. It was a great call. Yeah. So uh, my high schooling was an awesome experience, which is unfortunately the exception Mm. um, for neurodivergent students out there. Why do you think that Mm. worked for you? What do you think it was? Uh, Because we have personality. Yes. This is the other thing that Annie talks about. We have our personality and then 
if you have a neurodivergence, then um, it's completely intertwined with your personality. And so there might be personality traits that make you, I don't know, potentially find it easier to socialise or whatever. Mm. And then maybe your autism plays a role in there, but that's still who you are. Mm. And maybe that's where things can be easier or harder. Is that? Yeah. In my story, there's a, there's what the school was doing and then what changed in me. Mm. So I had, I went to school at an outer eastern Melbourne school called Wontana College. Very, if you're out there and you're listening, this was a government school, you know, kind of standard government school really. Mm -hmm. The game changer was that the year seven coordinator, and if you're a parent listening, the, the difference between primary and secondary is obviously when you're at secondary school, you lose that one teacher who's mm. got accountability for everything. Mm-hmm. They're really carrying the can on your kids' well-being, their learning mm. experience. At high school, you need to focus on the relationship with the school leader, whether it's a deputy principal or a year-level coordinator. And people miss that fact. It takes parents a while to pivot from the one relationship to then mm. And being does it stri- doesn't matter who that is necessarily as long as there's someone in there? Well, or? I do think it helps a lot if you're a parent that is strategic with the yep. relationship with the coordinators. Yeah. Uh, I think that makes a huge difference. We were... Our unreasonable advantage as a family was that the Year 7 coordinator, who was her name was Christine Horvath, was extraordinary. So she, she was someone that loved enjoying and listening to the interests of students. So for an autistic kid like me who... I was so different. I was writing sequels to the sequel to Gone with the Wind. You know we're talking about that. Like I that. was. <laughs> I'm obsessed. I was. I was obsessed with history. I was. Um, I cleaved to all these unusual, but for me, fantastic topics. And she was the first person in my life that enjoyed that. Mm. So you can imagine me. I'd grown up feeling like a pitied character that didn't present the same as my younger brother. Or also, yeah, 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 Chris, we know. We love that. Enough. Yes, enough, know? So enough. Like we, yeah. So I'd, I'd just become a kid that was apologising for oh, everything. I had the same because mm. I was annoying. I had ADHD. Yes. I didn't know. But I have this hang-up now still. Still. Like I'm in therapy working through yeah. I'm not annoying. Yes. You know? Wow. Like, yeah. This is very helpful because I'm in therapy yeah, working out therapy. that I am not difficult because really? I grew up feeling difficult. <gasps> and what is amazing about this teacher, if you're out there and you are in that very vulnerable moment of choosing a high school, go out there and find a teacher that makes your kid feel safe, that, that makes school feel like a home away from home. If you find that teacher, that's the right school for you. I have got goosebumps because part of what I want to do is help parents. Yes. That, that is such a clear, easy, I mean, not easy to do, but once you know that's an important goal, you can just focus Changes on that. everything. I love it. Because unfortunately, all the marketing out there for parents is choose these schools because they've got X number of facilities. Mm-hmm. This is what the experience will be like in VCE yep. or at HSC if you're in another state, etc. What is very different when you're a neurodivergent family is you need to find a teacher that's going to go the extra mile because your kid will need some more time. Mm. And that was what... I mean, I'm emotional about Mrs. Horvath because she died in my year 12. And she was this, she never was my classroom teacher, which was the powerful difference because she was a networker. Mm -hmm. She met me and because she was the first person that didn't just, uh, you know, she kind of leaned in to these very quirky interests. And she was also someone that helped me work out if I socialise through structure, 
I succeed. Mm. And that was because I was never, like I would uh, become invisible when I was exposed socially in unstructured spaces. Mm-hmm. So recess and lunch, agony. Terrible. The agony, worst. Agony. The I, worst. I needed activity. Mm-hmm. And that's where, um, I mean, in my story, I got involved with student councils, which was you know, heaven for a list maker like me because I, I read, I'd read very distinct parts of history. I loved big words. Did you start to kind of model yourself on a leader? Lit- totally, life? totally. <laughs> I loved, I totally mimicked characters. Let's be, let's be frank. Awesome. So that was, yeah. And she introduced me to student councils and whenever she was there, I felt safe enough to take risks. And that's your gauge as a, as the parent, I would argue at high school is my kid in a school where there are leaders that are going to make him or her or they feel safe to take risks? Mm. And that she provided that environment. She, I mean, that's, it's just so powerful, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <coughs> teachers. We're gonna, I'm going to talk to a whole lot of different teachers. I'm also yes. going to try and work out about the curriculum for educating teachers. Yes. What is, what, I think it's, my friend told me how to find that out, but... Mm. Um, you know, people come to teaching for lots of different reasons, mm. but your Mrs. Horvath was, she was there. She was the, oh, captain, my captain, wasn't totally. she, from Dead Poet Society? How do the, you know that? Wow, you've what? researched the story. She was exa- She was what? obsessed with Dead Poets. Was she? Obsessed. I did not stalk her. I did not know that. Wow. <laughs> so she had John Keating from Dead Poets plastered all no. over her walls. Oh, my God. And so, she really lived it. Lived what it. What a legend. So she was, yeah, remarkable. I think if you're out there, though, and you're choosing a high school and you're looking for who's the right school leader, you do need to measure what's the bravery of that school leader mm. because what happens to teachers, and this happens in any setting where, where there are kids with differences, in teams we typically share a common script about kids. Mm -hmm. And I grew up feeling like there was a negative whisper behind me. I always felt this. From kids or from teachers or both? From adult, from both. I always Mm. felt like people received me and then spoke about me. Mm. I could feel it. You know what? They probably did. Oh, I absolute guarantee that they did. Hard. Whether it's in your mind or whether it's real actually doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because you're still living that. You feel it. And that is a, it's a big It's a big cross you carry. Um, And it wasn't, yeah, but I could always feel with her that she would probably correct the script that was spoken about me. On your behalf? On my behalf, that she would reverse it and say, yeah, his English assignment is way too long. It's very melodramatic and it's got big words, but isn't that kind of cool? Yeah. And this year seven students applying to become secretary of the SRC. We've never had a year seven secretary, but isn't that kind of cool? Of course. (laughs) Yeah, amazing. And she she had enough cred with her peers. Yeah. Well, that was the interesting thing. Her peers found her quite babyish. And if you are a parent of a 12-year-old neurodivergent kid out there, find a teacher that does make school home away from home but has enough um, pull in the school that even if they are seen by their peers as maybe a bit unconventional, when you they say babyish, do you mean in her demeanour or in, the, in her over sort of nurturing? In her over-nurturing. I think year sevens need that. Need that, yes. exactly. I mean, they're still so, it's such a massive change and they're still Spot on. so young. Exactly. So she, I mean, it swung a lot from there. But mm. to give an example, I mean, 
she ran a Harry Potter day for the whole year level and made everyone dress up and her dress up was extraordinary. So she... I reckon she was autistic? I... I... No. I think looking back, I think she was just uh, an extraordinarily energetic person. She'd Mm. survived um, bone cancer. So she'd lost a leg in 1999. And I met her at the end of 1999. So she'd survived. Right. And yeah, amazing. she was, mm, she was really amazing. Well, that's amazing advice. We're going through that now. So we've, um, I, our daughter's been to, she's at her fourth school and she's in year four. Yep. So we, um, we were living in Sydney when she started preschool and by three-year-old preschool we had problems. Like we had her... For her, it was mainly um, behavioural and social challenges. So, but she was not the wallflower type of autistic girl, which mm. I think there are some of quite a lot of yes, those. Yes, there are. She yes, there was are. the defiant, aggressive. Her fight or flight went to fight. Righto. <laughs> not flight. Okay. Yep. Um, which, look, in some ways, I think it's good because she's very. Um, she stands up for herself and she and she defends herself, and we didn't know of course, why Mm. she was behaving like this. Mm. But she was in trauma and scared all the time. Yes. And we only, well, we got a diagnosis into prep and um, even then we still didn't, I didn't really understand what it meant or what her needs were. And Mm. so we, I can, so things just escalated at every school to the point where Mm. I was getting calls at 10 a.m. saying Mm. she's, you know, in a major distress and she's putting others at risk or, you know, she hit the teacher with a fluffy bunny or, you know. So Mm. that sort of thing was really hard because she just wasn't able to get through the day without being so distressed. And now she goes to a special school that's designed for um, intense anxiety and behavioural issues so that they've got weighted blankets in every room and there's only 12 kids in the class and there's like a teacher and two aides in every room. So there's a lot of support to manage that anxiety. And now she's starting to find her way a little bit more because her anxiety was just completely um, um, disenabling her from being able to really participate. She's very bright. Mm. She also has some trouble, though, applying herself and getting from start to finish and that kind of thing. But Mm. she's very clever. Um, But that's not enough. I mean, you have to be compliant in a mainstream school. It's it's very hard. Did you have behavioural issues? I had intense anxiety and that led to hairy moments in some situations. So there were, I mean, in primary school, um, I was so, if I was around positive energy, I would succeed. But as soon as I felt the I am difficult whisper around me, whether, in, you know, that was just my intuition, I would flatten. And so uh, probably every two weeks in primary school, I was having days off. I mean, at that time, I, we, weren't, we didn't have the language mental health days. Mm. I was faking a sickie just mm. to survive the week. But your parents understood that and knew that Mum knew that, that, that yeah. but I would go through the performance of trying to give a convincing enough cough to stay home from school. Mm. Um, so that probably Somehow can... Somehow you knew what you needed though. Oh, well, I, I, I honestly didn't know how you would survive five days of school. Mm. I used to get to Wednesday going, 
Oh, my God. So my oldest is like that. He's got ADHD, but yeah. he just gets so tired. He has it to is exhausting. all his energy. And I'm the same. I come back from the shops and I have to have a nap. Oh, I'm exactly. Yeah, woolies. I'm exhausted. Exhausted. Give, I need a coffee to debrief. I um, need to, like, lie under my waist blanket <laughs> yeah, and then right. back, you know? <laughs> You're back. <laughs> Love it. Well, look, I, I relate to, yeah, your daughter's experience. I was too, I was, uh, yeah, completely in a performance at school mm. and I would come out of the performance completely exhausted and my defiance and my aggression happened from 3.30 to 5.30 mm. at home, mm-hmm. became very hard to live with, mm. very hard to live with. Did you see the hole in our wall as you came in? Are we? Um, Still there. Well, we had a, my um, mum one time in year eight threw my school bag through the wall just in a moment of complete, mm-hmm. I have to do something to re- have a release valve here. But she was like struggling as well. Struggling. Well, yeah. when you're, I mean, in my head, I was so worked up about one particular Obsession, And I found every six months there'd be something I was worrying about that would reach this cathartic point. Mm. And um, I was so over-worried about homework as a little year seven and eight student. And the irony is I, when I over-engineer something, I just relax about it. So I did no homework from year nine to year 11. Mm. Fed income did nothing. I think that's really a survival mechanism. It was totally. I did nothing. So, but year seven and eight, I, I did enough as a year 12 student, but then I complete, and that gave me skills for year 12. When, How did the school cope with you not doing homework? Mm, great question. I, um, I mean, I got by, but I, Mrs. Horvath had put me in so many different social activities and I, you know, just kind of kept doing those things. And so school was going okay and no one was really picking up. I mean, I was doing enough, mm, but I mm. wasn't really mm. like I. Well, you weren't doing your level. I wasn't you my knew your spot level on was Anna. Going to be like I wasn't amazing. doing my level at all, and so I was doing very trans, like just mm. ticking the boxes, but not shining in anything academically. Did that? Did you find that hard though? Because you knew that you, you that that was a real strength for you in your heart. Or did mm. you know that? Well, I was just yeah. I, I was so involved in different student activities and that had become my complete operating mode Mm. at high school. I was still taking a day off every two weeks. Mm. I'd reward myself if I went to school five days a week in week one, you get a day off. Nailed it, totally. You have to have, and I mean, it's not a great school attendance story, but you have to, if you're a kid out there listening or a parent, you know, if you survive one way, forget what everyone else is doing. You've got to follow what works for you. That is so important so and important. I think for many parents one they might not have even might not have occurred to them that yes. that's possible yes. and secondly if and I know like I've started to do that I definitely have days at home with mm. all my kids in different ways yeah, they yeah. all struggle they come home they're exhausted for different in different ways um but I have to be the one in between them and the school and say, this is what we're doing, you know. Good. Or I will say, oh, not feeling well because I know that that's important. And one of the things I talk about quite a lot, I grew up in quite a uh, achievement-oriented home. Mm. So we were all like, you know, we um, I felt a lot of sort of, I think, 
need to achieve and yes. we all did. Like, yes. But um, when we got our diagnosis, everything changed for me as a parent in mm. terms of what my benchmarks are now. Yes. So um, just going to school, if you can do year 12, yes, exactly. amazing. Amazing. Um, Good. But if you can't, that's okay too, you know. It's not worth the anxiety. Not worth it. Um, because such a long life. I, you'll have to listen to, I've got a great interview with um, a, a comedian that I met through work. He's fantastic. And his boy was also autistic but wasn't diagnosed. Similar probably to your story but earlier. So he's, the boy's now 29. How old are you, Chris? I'm 33 okay, now. so similar age. Mm. Um, but they didn't diag- have him diagnosed and they didn't really tell him because they didn't feel like it was helpful at the time, I think, or probably for where society was at at the time. But his story is so awesome. He couldn't get through. He didn't get through year 12, but guess what? He ended up with a PhD. Wow. Yeah, such a good story. And that's what I I think is really important to try and tell those stories, that you can still get to wherever it is that's your version of success. It doesn't have to follow the model. It doesn't have to follow. And as soon as you let that go your day-to-day worry about, oh, gosh, you've got to go to school and you've got to do your homework and that dissipates. Yeah. And then because my mum always said to me, you know, I have anxiety Mm. and and she always says to me, your children feed off you when you're stressed, they're stressed. And I was like, I'm not stressed. What are you talking about? Everything's fine. (laughs) It took me a long time to kind of see it and own it and know that actually it's this kind of like ecosystem of how we bounce off each other in a house. And your energies, yeah, you have to protect your positive energy Mm -hmm. so, Mm -hmm. so much. So when you, your mum, She'd tell you. Tell us a story about when you were sort of like the light, when you were enlightened about how you were different. <laughs> yeah, so I'd felt different would be the way I'd start this. Mum and dad's particular choice because of the media's and society's view of autism, they were scared mm. that I would, because I transferred a lot of things to myself. I'd watch a movie and in who know if it had been something negative, I would transfer that to me and go. Like deep empathy. Deep, deep empathy. Yes. And so they were so aware of that. They said, let's tell him mm. when he's got a bit more life experience, got a bit more maturity, because I was also quite melodramatic. Mm. And that's just part of me. So, but. I am too. Mm, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like just passion. It's yeah, passion. yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. It's helped me do, it's helped me do lots of things <laughs> yeah. and use big words and give speeches. I love yeah, drama. Exactly. Love drama. Yeah. Use drama. Anyway, but they were very aware that I might transfer mm. other representations of autism to me. So they. That's a really real fear. It is a real fear. And it's such a problem. It is. So they waited until I was in year eight and I'd totally gunned a history assignment which was on uh, medieval England, which I love. And who doesn't? Well, I, mean, I mean, everyone should every, get into medieval. It's amazing. It's, ama- it's amazing, isn't it? So I gunned this uh, history assignment and won an award for history at the awards night. And mum took me out the next morning and sat me down at Macca's in Knox City Food Court, if you're a Melbourneian. Knox City's just one of many Westfield shopping centres, but this, it was the kingdom when you were a City of Knox kid like me. Anyway, I'm in Macca's, I'm having my Big Mac, I'm having my hotcakes and mum then gives Big this... Big Mac and hotcakes. Um, well, yeah, I, I was a total sweet and sour. Yeah, sweet, and, yeah. sweet and salty. Yeah, I yeah. I get it. Yeah. yeah. Carry on. <laughs> um, and mum started this spiel, which was a bit different. I mean, she started, she brought out a folder and my mum was not necessarily quite 
disorganized with life admin, but very organized with personal health because she was a nurse. Mm. Anyway, she brought out a file and my mum didn't bring out files. And she not had to this, Maccas. Oh, no, not to Maccas. This green folio came out and she brought out newspaper clippings of uh, famous autistic people like Bill Gates mm. and said, you know, your focus when you choose to do something, you do it 150% and you know how you can get quite anxious and worried and we have run-ins every six months about something that probably needs to change for the health of the house and you know how you've got a lot of guts and you can climb mountains of anxiety when you need to achieve something. Well, all of that just means you've got Asperger's Mm -hmm. and it's in the autism family and it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's everything to be proud of. Mm. And you just need to keep being you. Take it in your stride. It's going to help you do big things. And that was mum gave it in such an authentic way for mum. It was a lovely entry Mm. point into autism. And I I still took four years to tell anyone because I wasn't aware of it. I also Mm. found the... I also found the words autism and Asperger's, I just didn't really, they grated on me a bit, to be blunt. Well, we don't hear, we still don't hear them that often. No, we don't. And when we hear them, like we talk a little bit about that story about the boy who got lost in the, um, in the bush recently and the community came out to find him. Amazing, yeah. But they always, they they kept on saying he's nonverbal autistic. Yes, I don't like nonverbal. Non-speaking is much better. But either mm. way, what I think it, I think there's still a kind of connotation of um, being quite severely yes. impacted yes. by autism and Asperger's or Asperger's maybe is a, a, that sort of slightly more understood that it's not so extreme in terms of what you can, mm. your uh, impairments. But I still don't think that people, re- I, I still think that it doesn't, um, it evokes certain things that if you don't identify with those then it's really hard to kind of own it. Yeah. you. I mean, if you're out there and you're wondering how you refer to it. It is about what your family decides. Mm. You've got to choose the language that means something to you. Mm. And you've got to help your positive identity. Mm. Some people prefer on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Some people prefer, I've, you know, I've got autism. Some mm. pre- people prefer autistic. Mm-hmm. Personally, I've swung to I am really proud of autism mm. and I'm, I identify as being an autistic adult. But I've got there through a lot of mental processing and time. Mm. So... You've got to look after yourself out there. Don't feel you need to adopt language that you're not ready for. You've got to take the time to work out what works for you and your positive identity because it comes down to that. Mm. You've got to, you're in charge of you. You've got to make yourself feel positive and build up your self-esteem and choose the language that helps you at that time. Mm. So, Because you've got your whole life. You've got your whole you? life. Yep. Yeah, don't feel if you're in a Facebook group and everyone's saying, no, you've got to use this language, Put that on the shelf. Get Don't worry about that. Yep. You've got to follow what works for you. So do you so were you surprised when your mum called you? No, not at all. No. I started crying with relief because yep. I was completely aware that there'd been things I was very quick at and then things I was quite slow at. And I was just it wasn't the fact that I was had a difference. It was that I wasn't alone. I could immediately tell, oh, Okay, I belong to something here that helps make sense of me. And that was a, yeah, a complete, and also validation that I'd felt different Mm. and then that was kind of stamped a bit. Because when you suspect something, Mm. you feel a bit 
you know, if you feel a bit crazy, um, mm. I don't want to put crazy in a negative light here, no, but, but yeah, I, I felt like, you know, sure, I, why do I take forever to do my shoelaces? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when, yeah. you, when you're feeling that at the age of six and everyone else is doing it very quickly, but then I could tell the time insely quickly. Anyway. Yeah, the this, time. My daughter is so good at time. Yes. Interesting. I'm so good at time. Really mm. interesting. Mm. Um, I know, I understand that. And also, do you think... Um, if you had have known earlier, would it have helped? Or do you think? Well, at that time, I've met six-year-olds today that know about their autism and are very proud of it. Mm, different take, time. Different time. Mm. At that time in 1992 to 1999, when I was a primary school kid, I'm not sure it would have helped me. Mm, so no. I'm great. Mum had a good plan for us. And you've got to, if you're listening to me, stack my story up. It's just my story. Mm. You've got to follow what works for you. Yeah, and I do think as parents and as a mum, your gut, you, you're, oh, you've got to listen to your gut Yeah, because you know something inherent, you know, you know what your child needs. Trust yourself. Our daughter told us. Yeah, wow. Uh-huh. Millie, wow. Millie told us. So she she was also, and I wonder if this is the same view, she could also always pick the other autistic kids and there's plenty. There's I mean, plenty, yes. It yes, must be are. different because I wonder if there were plenty when you were around. Or well, when, I've, you know? I've had to stop because I'm very aware I'm not a diagnostician. Yeah, oh, me but too. I, still, I think I am. In the privacy of my house <laughs> and in, you know, I, I, yeah. I can sense it. Can spot it. And Millie did. So the wow. first school that she was at, there were quite a few. And they were out, if you like, quite mm. sort of happily. And she, But she would say, and I may not have said, Yes, I know that that child yes. is, but she would say, that kid is, that kid is, that kid is. Or what do you think is going on? For She's really interested in um, um, character traits and if there's something different. She's really interested in medicine and, like, symptoms and different wow. conditions. And one of the things she used to want me to read to her at bedtime was the, when, you know, when the school sends you home, the list of if you have, um, if you're vomiting, it's 24 hours before you can come back to school. If you have she loved a it. temperature, she would want to read that. Absorbed that was what it. we read, you know, the symptoms of like, and then she wanted to start looking up things like leprosy. <laughs> I said, I don't think that's a good idea. Darling. No, 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 I want to see it. Want and it. then I she'd see it and go, oh, no. Oh, that's a bit. But she she's very fascinated by those. And so one day she said to wow. me, um, oh, is that person autistic? I said, yep, yep. And she said, am I autistic? Righto. And I said, yeah, yeah, you are. You've got a sprinkle of autism. You do. Mm. You, you do. And and then at that point, I think, um, I didn't even know if she was surprised. She was only seven or six. No, she must have been seven because we had the diagnosis. But now she's 10. She has quite a lot of grief about it. So right. why, you know, she'll say, and it's quite heartbreaking, she says, uh, you know, if there was a, if there was a magic um, lamp, my only wish would be not to have autism. Mm. So that's what I guess the organisation I created, I Can Network, is really trying to change. Yes. We're trying to change because that, that, I mean, and it will change for Millie. You, I, there were definite moments when I was a teenager, I, you know, I would wish away the autism. And there, there's all sorts of, yeah, because I, I had such a different timeline um, to other kids yes. and you um, you do have moments um, and they creep up on you where you go, oh, I wish I was mm. not like this. Because kids don't want to be different. That's part of being a kid. Yeah, and once you're an kid. adult, it actually becomes your identity. Totally. And something that you own and totally. that people love about you. But kids aren't so uh, evolved yet. No, you know, they just no. Maybe it's just some kind of 
primal thing where staying together in the group is safe. Safe. You know? And that's why I guess we're so determined to wrap around schools and the spaces that kids are in a really positive energy towards autism. And it's not trying to out kids and it's not Mm. trying to um, make them do anything they're not ready for. We are very, very aware of that because I was that kid that didn't want to be out until I was ready. I Mm. believe profoundly every young person has to feel ready. So you were just telling me um, about your obsession with a certain period in history. Can you pick that up again because I loved it? I love talking about this. Tell me. Well, it is... My Asperger's aside, I think it's a, it's an amazing period to look at. So England, it's 1461. In the Plantagenet family, you've got the Lancastrians that all descend from John of Gaunt. And then you've got the Yorkists that descend from Edmund of Langley, Edmund and John being sons of Edward III. And it's this amazing period in time where they're two warring factions. Picture like your second cousin and you being mortal enemies. And that's what they were. They were the one family, the Plantagenets. And it was controversial because it would have all been fine if Henry VI was a competent king. I mean, if it was in today's time where the monarchy is probably just a symbol, it would have been fine. But at that point, a king was a governor. What the turning point was, Henry VI was had lost competence for the job. And then his cousin, Richard of York, yeah, went to war because he was sick of covering for his cousin. So he went to war to take power. To take power, spot on. Can you take the throne? Can you take the kingdom, the kingship? If you've got the, at that time, if you've got the men and you've, you can take it by conquest. So it's, it's not about firstborn. Technically at that time it was, but... The, well, the game changer was that Henry VI was basically being ruled by his wife, Margaret of Anjou, oh, and that... Was she amazing? She, well, was yeah, she from, a, from a take everything outside, she was amazing. Yeah. And she was doing a good job. Wow. So no one liked that at that time. Oh, so wow. Richard of York went to war, he died, his son died, but his three other sons lived and they become the three sons of York and they take over... The crown, but it's not a straightforward story. So this is Game of Thrones. Is this is, is totally that Game of Thrones. What Game of Thrones is based Spot on. Spot on. The, the era, like so, when we watch Game of Thrones, that um, historical period is what you're talking about. Yes, the Starks are the Yorks, so and the love- Lannisters are the Lancastrians. So, yep. as a um, aficionado, what is your? <laughs> How do you, um, what's your review of Game of Thrones in terms of their authenticity? And- yeah, yeah. I think he got, I think Georgia, I don't know the man, but I think he was inspired by the conflict between the Yorks and the Lancastrians. And I think you can see a lot of that story in Game of Thrones. I loved Game of Thrones. Mm. I, yeah, I was totally captured by it. Me too. Mm. Yeah. I, I still think the actual Wars of the Roses had a lot of aspects that were worse. I mean, oh. when Edward IV sentenced his brother George to death, I just thought that was that was entering a, and gruesome. a dark period. Was gruesome of interest to you as well or was it more the sort of politics? Uh, no, I'm, I don't like gore. Mm. I'm really delicate. Oh. I, I love... 
I loved the politics. Yeah. I loved Tyrion. I loved Tyrion, Tyrion. in Game of Thrones. The dwarf? Yes, He yes. was amazing. Amazing. I love him. I love the actor. I love oh, the, yeah. that. Yeah, he was an amazing mm. character. And I'm always a fan of the underdog. So yeah. absolute yeah, wedded to the are underdog. You? Mm. Do you think that is um, personal? With autism you felt a bit like an underdog? Did it feel Spot like on. that? That's yeah. exactly where it's come from. So it's... No, I get quite emotional about underdogs because that was my feeling. It was never something I was seeking a badge for or anything, but that was a definitely a feeling in me growing up. And it, but it has pushed me to do lots of things that were outside of my comfort zone. So no, I really relate to underdogs. Mm, and that's a very Australian thing, very, isn't it? So yes. it probably was yeah. like somehow fostered just by your being an Aussie. Very, yeah, very Australian. 